You know, we had a great opportunity yesterday to bless our community, and this would not have happened if it were not for you. Through the donation of candy, just being here and serving, let me give you a few statistics that I found to be really encouraging. Number one, we had almost 1,500 people register that were here yesterday uh, just on our campus, and so we're grateful to God for that. We had uh, 327 of those say that they are not affiliated with any church, any kind of way. And so it's likely, highly likely, uh, that the majority of those have, have, have not responded to the gospel. Um, it's highly likely that many of them uh, may not have ever heard the gospel clearly articulated to them. So I'm grateful for you and your willingness to be here and to serve and even to have those conversations that you were having uh, yesterday around the gospel. Praise God for that. And then here's one I get really excited about. As we consider our sent strategy, we're sent to our three, sent to our communities, and sent to our world. Man, 165 of you, you signed up and you served faithfully yesterday. So we, we just thank God for that. Yeah, awesome. So we praise the Lord for Rock the Block. I know a lot of people are tired today. Don't worry, I, I will not preach uh, too terribly long today. We want to we wanna leave enough time at the end of the service for uh, communion. I'll be truthful with you. I preach longer than I normally do in the last service. So I will make up for that in this service. Probably not. But anyway, that's my goal. <clears throat> but we will have time uh, to, to share in communion. If you did not get a communion packet and you would like one, just hang tight. We will get you one at the end of the service. I also want to share with you, many of you know this, today is Reformation Sunday. So happy Reformation Day. According uh, to history, we see in 1517, Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses on the wall in Wittenberg just saying, hey, we've opened the Bible and we believe that this is what the Bible says. A few things that were birthed out of that is according to scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And I'm so thankful for the glorious gospel. I'm thankful for gospel recovery throughout the quarters of history. We see God being faithful in keeping his church intact and keeping uh, a fidelity to uh, the gospel intact. And so may we, may we lay this feast in front of us today and say, man, praise God for the truth of his word. Can I just say this to you? To the best of our ability, our goal is to be Bible people here. Uh, we want to be Bible people. We, we believe in the Word of God. I, I firmly believe that I, if I were to get up here each week and preach to you my opinions or just to be overly topical, those topics run out. My opinions can be flawed. But if I get up here and preach to you the Word of God, man, we now receive what we need. And last week in the book of James, we talked about our need to receive, to welcome the Word of God. We talked about our need to, to be submissive to the Word of God. And we talked about our need to be moved by the Word of God. We did that very purposefully last week as we took a break from Romans just to see that, man, we're going to face some tough passages as we go through the Bible verse by verse. And we're in the book of Romans and we are in the heart of Romans chapter nine. And there are some tough things that we're gonna talk about over the next few moments. And some of you, your head just may spin a little bit. And you may say, well, how does this apply to me? I'm gonna do my best to kind of bridge by way of application your brain to your heart as I bridge my brain to my heart as well. So we're gonna do the best that we can. 
But we need the Holy Spirit of God to do that work to show us how he would speak to our hearts today because of the weightiness of this passage. And I would just ask you to pray that way with me as we uh, open up in a word of prayer. So we'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's just ask the Lord to do what only he can do over the next few moments. Father, we are grateful. God, we're grateful for the opportunities we have to know you and to be known by you. God, I'm reminded of the text that says that all of creation is longing for your return. We've all been marred by sin. Lord, I think about the hurricane in Mexico. God, be with those folks. Think about the war in the Middle East. God, all that's going on there. Lord, I just ask that you would make yourself known in the midst of all of it. And Lord, as we approach your word today, God, may you make yourself known. Even in the hard, the difficult, the challenging passages, we know that all of your word is profitable. And God, you have a purpose in every ounce of it. May today you be glorified in our response to the reading and proclamation of your word. And may you speak to us in the manner of which only you can through the power of the Holy Spirit of God in us. And we pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, hey, today we are back in Romans. So if you have found your spot there, Romans chapter nine, please stand if you're willing and able in honor of reading the word of God. Romans chapter nine, starting in verse 14. If you're there, we say amen. If you're excited to be here, we say amen. amen. Come on, somebody. So here we go. Romans 9, verse 14 says, What shall we say then? Remember, we've been plotting through Romans. Go back and listen to the sermons if you have not listened to them. He's speaking of uh, when he made mention of Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated. He's anticipating some of the questions that are birthed from what he's just walked through in Romans 9. And so he asked the question, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And I love how he emphatically answers this by no means. For he says to Moses, going back to the Exodus, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. So we're not saved by our works but on God who has mercy. This is God's work. Salvation is God's work. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Pharaoh hardened his own heart back in Exodus and then God responds by releasing his restraint or his common grace over Pharaoh. <clears throat> we'll talk about that in a few moments. Verse 19, you'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? This is not suggesting that we should not have questions. It's simply saying when it comes to the authority of God, to the sovereignty of God, to the bigness of God, who are you, who am I to speak back to God? And then he uses a, an illustration that was common uh, to mankind back then and really does back then and really does relate to us today. He says, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay 
to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. I love the illustration of pottery here. I've shared this before. I would not make you stand during the entire sermon. Just hang tight for a second. I remember very well in college, I went from high school to college to play baseball on a scholarship and was so bad in high school academically. I got saved my senior year. My motor changed a little bit, but I was so bad. My college coach as an academic advisor of mine signed me up, not for 12 hours, which everyone else had, but for 18. And those other hours consisted of two courses, ceramics one and ceramics two. Yes, I took pottery in college. Aren't you proud? Uh, it's terrible. What I, what I made is not good, but I can tell you this, the lump of clay never turned and spoke to me and said, why did you make me this way? And this is the illustration that Paul is using here. 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Last verse for today, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And we'll get to this next week. He quotes Hosea, an Old Testament text to say that God has always been for the nations, not just for um, a, a distinct special group, but for all peoples. He has been for all peoples. May God bless the reading and proclamation of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for your endurance as you've stood there. Hey, listen, as I, as I was preparing for this, I read something from Charles Swindoll that I found to be really helpful as we seek to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. He talks about how for centuries, philosophers, and scientists, they argued over the nature of light. You see, some claimed that light behaves like wave that is traveling through space, much like sound. Right? They would argue that that's exactly how light operates. But others disagreed with this conclusion, and they stated that no, light is not a wave. It is a stream of tiny particles emanating from its source. Well, the, de the debate divided the world's most brilliant minds into two opposing camps. Those that believed that light was consistent of waves and those that believed light was consistent of tiny particles. Now, similar to theology, it's easy for us to be divided over issues like this. Is it my responsibility to respond to God and salvation? Does it solely rest upon me to keep that salvation? Can I lose that salvation? Or is it totally in the hands of God and there's no need for me to do anything? Those are the two pendulum extensions. Well, in this issue of light, there was a, a debate that was obviously divided. But in 1905, there was someone that came about who was unadorned, relatively unknown in the academic circles. And he spent day and night examining the source of light. He wanted to unravel this mystery. And he published an article in Germany's leading physics journal that would change everything. His name was Albert Einstein. And he put forward the idea that light is both wave and 
particle. His theory made no sense at all, yet the calculations satisfactorily answered the questions that were in front of them. And this eventually won him the Nobel Peace Prize. You see, as we consider how this issue of light was reconciled, what you and I theologically must consider today is, yes, we have human responsibility and free will, and we have the sovereign hand of God, and where those those tracks cross, we do not know, but we must answer this the way that Charles Spurgeon answered this when he was asked, how do you reconcile the two? He says, well, I don't even try because I don't feel the need to reconcile friends. We have the Great Commission and we have Acts 1-8. We are called to go and to share the gospel. And our entire strategy as a church is a sent strategy to tell the world about Jesus. But we also know that we are called to plant, we are called to water, and it is God that gives the increase. We cannot make a dead man come alive. Only God can do this. Well, let's see what Paul is saying here. In Romans, in verse 14, the question is asked, is there injustice with God? And the emphatic answer, by no means. By no means, God is not unjust in, in any type of way. He is a just God. And can I just submit to you today, God Almighty owes you and I nothing. We need to start here as our launch pad, realizing that grace by definition is something that God is never obliged to do. It is a gift of God. It's something that he grants freely. It's something he grants voluntarily. And it's only the perfect person, the one that has their life in an expert way put together. They have done no wrong ever from the time that they are born to the time that they find themselves in right now. It is only the perfect person that could ever look to God and say, God, if you're just, I deserve a reward. But the problem there is none is righteous. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. John Stott said it this way, the wonder is not that some are saved and others are not, but that anybody is saved at all. Have you felt that in your heart, brother and sister in Christ? It's not that is everyone saved, and that's my question, but God, who am I that you would be so kind to save me? For we deserve nothing at God's hand but judgment. If we receive what we deserve, that's judgment. If we receive what we do not deserve, that is mercy. And in neither case is God unjust. If therefore anybody is lost, the blame is theirs. But if anyone is saved, the credit is God's. The antinomy contains a mystery which our present knowledge cannot solve, but it is consistent with Scripture, history, and experience. If we succinctly put that together, we would just say it's all of God's mercy. Romans 12, which we'll get to in about nine months from now. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Romans 12 starts this way. It says, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? So that we can be transformed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this is our spiritual act of, of, of mercy, of worship. This is how we respond. Why do we do this? Well, it's in view of God's mercy, Why do I want to present myself as a living sacrifice to God? It's in view 
of God's kind hand. It's in view of his mercy that he would save a wretched sinner like me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says we are saved by grace through faith, right? This is a gift of God. This is not a result of works that any man should boast. This is God's gift that we are saved. So I want to take a moment to talk about one of the challenging pieces of this passage when you think of Pharaoh, Right, So Paul mentions Pharaoh and how God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. He's going back to the Exodus, and we see that Pharaoh was an evil, evil man, uh, yet God had restraints because of common grace on Pharaoh. But then it says that God willingly hardened his heart after Pharaoh had already hardened his own heart. There's a major challenge here. You know, this weekend we watched the movie Prince of Egypt. Anybody ever seen that movie? cartoon from the 90s. It is a really good movie, man. And in that movie, you know, Moses comes up before Pharaoh, and it's, just, it's biblically based. Comes up before Pharaoh because God commanded him to. He's in the court of Pharaoh, and he's been instructed by the Lord to ask Pharaoh or demand of Pharaoh to let God's people go, let the people of Israel go. Yet Pharaoh refused, and so what did God do in response? God sent a list, a series of plagues. And each time the plagues would come, man, that would hit Egypt so hard. And so Pharaoh would relent and he would agree to allow the Israelites to depart. But then we read that God hardened his heart in this and Pharaoh chose not to let God's people go. He changed his mind and he stopped the Israelites from departing. Well, a couple of things here. God was using in Pharaoh an evil man to bring about his good purpose. God does not create evil. God does not do evil. God does not incline hearts to commit evil deeds. What he does do is he brings good out of evil. He can overrule the evil schemes, the machinations of, uh, of all of mankind, and he can use it all for his good purpose. Joseph is a good example. Exhibit A, Joseph, Genesis. Joseph was one who was favored by his daddy. He received this coat of many colors and his brothers didn't like that. So they're like, man, let's kill him. And instead of killing him, they said, no, let's sell him into slavery. And then he went on and he would find some favor and then he would regress. He found himself in prison. He went through hard times, but as God would have it, the scripture says that he was with Joseph all along. God used what his brothers did for evil in their wickedness, trying to get rid of their brother. God used that to ultimately make Joseph prime minister of Egypt. That way during the famine, he could bless his own family and help them and support them. And once their brothers recognized, once his brothers recognized Joseph, because Joseph was now walking like an Egyptian, he was dressed in Egyptian garb and they didn't recognize him at first, but once they did recognize him, they repented. And remember what Joseph said? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now, uh, continuing on, another example here would be Judas. Judas was an evil man, especially in the moment when his pride and self-centeredness and greed got the best of him, and he sold Jesus for a few pieces of silver. 
Now, Judas was wicked. We don't go to Judas and say, Judas, thank you for what you did because without the cross, there's no salvation. And it led ultimately Jesus going to the cross. Thank you so much. No, we don't thank Judas for his wickedness. He's responsible for that. He's held accountable for that. But did God use Judas's wickedness for good? Yes. It took Jesus to where ultimately God was going to have him go so that he could pay for not his sins, but our sins. So we see that God can use the wickedness of mankind. God can use all evil and he can bring about his good purpose. Now back to Pharaoh for a moment. Did God harden his heart and then punish him for not doing the things that he couldn't do anyway because God hardened his heart? No. Pharaoh was wicked all on his own. And God is incapable, and this is strong language to say God is incapable, but he's incapable of committing this act. Why? Because it goes against his character. He cannot and he will not go against his character. What we read here is an example of God's punitive judgment against a wicked man. Pharaoh was already wicked, but because of common grace, he wasn't as wicked as he could have been. But God let his restraints go of Pharaoh, which is the way we read hardening his heart. He released his restraints from him, and that is why he would continue to change his mind and say, no, I want to be as wicked and as vile as I can. God did not create fresh wickedness in him. Uh, God did not stir this up in him. Pharaoh had already hardened his heart and God removed his restraints and Pharaoh got what he deserved and ultimately Israel was redeemed. And so we could say it this way, God passively hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh gets justice and God's people get mercy. We are not super lapsarianists to where we believe that we're starting from a common place of goodness. We don't believe that we're born good and we live good and so God is just punishing us because of our good. No, we are born into the fall. We are sinners in need of a savior. This is exactly why we believe that we must live sent lives and tell the world about Jesus because we're starting from a place that deserves death and hell and eternity separated from God. But praise be unto the Lord. Who am I, God, that you would shine your mercy upon me? God, who am I that you would be gracious to someone like me? You see, he is the potter and we are the clay and he is the one doing the work that only he can accomplish. Paul doesn't try to solve the issue of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He simply rebukes the idea here that anyone can be so arrogant to try to usurp or uh, at best try to comprehend the bigness of God. He says, who are you to come against God? Who are you as clay to ask the potter that what he is doing and why he is doing it? No, not at all, man. We are to simply surrender and submit to our Lord. As Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven and he does what he pleases as the old hymn says have thine own way lord have thine own way thou art the potter and i am the clay mold me and make me after thy will while i am waiting yielded and still we must surrender to the work of god surrender to the things of god and trust that he can work all things together for our good and for his glory did you know according to verse 24 there is a wideness to god's mercy it's not just for a specific remnant in Israel, 
even though there is a remnant in Israel that is saved, but there's a wideness to God's mercy. He pours his mercy upon the children of the promise in Israel, but also upon the Gentiles, which includes you and I. And as we stated a few weeks back, God has always been for the nations. That's why there's never any room for racism or for worship of the state, for God is saving a people for himself from all the corners of the earth. And we praise God for this today. So a few things that we take home. First of all, we love God because he first loved us. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord that we love God because he first loved us. We embrace the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we allow the vision of God's sovereignty to increase our faith. This is how we can build that bridge between our brain to our heart. Know that we love God because he first loved us. Know that we can embrace the mystery and the bigness of God because his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. We can allow the vision of the sovereignty of God to increase our faith. Here's how we can do this. We can say, God, you are holy and I'm standing in holy ground. God, you are holy and I want to I rest in this place knowing that in your presence is where I want to be, man. I'm not afraid of that, God. I want, I want to fear you in a reverential type of way of God, realizing this is holy. God, knowing that you loved me and that you've always loved me, you've known me and that you've always known me. And God, that, that if I am saved, it is all a gift of you so that, so that I don't boast in anything that I have done. So when I'm littered with anxiety, when I'm littered with my own fear, when I'm littered with my own self-doubt, God, help me to have a proper view of your sovereign hand that you know me and that you've always known me, that you see me and that you've always seen me and that you've loved me and that you've always loved me. Predestined for love. God, you've cared for me. Who am I that you would be so merciful to me? You see, today, if you don't know Jesus, the good news for you is God very purposefully has you here. And our prayer for you is that you would respond to the good news of the gospel, that you would trust in Christ, and that you would have a forever home in heaven with him. If you're a believer here today, my prayer for you is that you don't get overly confused about uh, the theology around this, but that you embrace both the sovereign electing hand of God and human responsibility that if we do not respond, it's on our, on our, on our own account that we must know we're called to go to all peoples and to share the good news of the gospel. This is our commission and we are to trust that God will do his work in the way that only God can do his work. And in, in the difficulties of life that we face, which we all do, we can trust that God can use every ounce of what we go through for his glory and for our good. I praise the Lord for this. So today, as we approach the Lord's table, if you're here and you're a believer and you want to partake in communion, you did not receive a packet, just lift your hand really high today. We'll make sure to get you one. Lift it really high. We've got ushers coming about. Today, as we partake in communion, we want to think about and appreciate and enjoy with a humble heart in this thin space moment where the gap between heaven and earth feels a little bit smaller. We want to recognize the grace of God that has been bestowed to us in our own lives. We want to be thankful for God's grace. We want to be thankful that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We want to trust in him. You see, the Bible says that if you're here and you're not a believer, that this is not for you. However, it's a great opportunity for you to look at what the church does as they recognize the body of Christ that was broken freely. 
the blood that was given freely so that we might have life in Jesus. We recognize this and we enjoy this and we celebrate this together in communion because God has been kind to us. God has been merciful to us. God has been good to us. We've been broken by the fall, broken by our own sin, but we have been redeemed in Christ and we now have a seat at the Lord's table and we rejoice in that. The Bible does add one caveat if you're here and you're a believer and you're in some type of perpetual or habitual sin that you've not uh, repented of. The Bible says to set this aside for just a moment and spend some time repenting, turning from that sin, trusting in God afresh and anew in this moment. For the other brothers and sisters in the room, this is a, a wonderful time of worship that you can have great joy in your heart with, knowing that, man, God, I, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And God, I'm remembering what you've done for me. God, I'm grateful for it. So the word says, for I received from the Lord what also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the word concludes by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And God, we are thankful that you are mighty to save. We thank you for your sovereignty, God. We thank you for the reminder today that you are an in control, on time, providential, loving God. And God, as the psalmist says, Lord, we are reminded that you are in heaven, you do what you please. But Lord, we're reminded of the gift that we have in knowing you, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you know us and that you've always known us. You create us to be useful. You shape us into your image. And God, knowing that you can even reshape the brokenness in our lives is amazing. And we thank you for this type of grace that has been granted to us. We pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen.